All right, welcome to the conversation. Ron Johnson is one of the worst senators in the country. He's a Republican from Wisconsin, and he's the one that's been out there backing Donald Trump in every way imaginable, and in some ways not imaginable, including you know, defending the Capitol rioters, etc. So, well, he's up for re-election, and there are going to be a lot of Democrats vying for a seat. And we've brought on here the person who is arguably, if not definitively, the most progressive of those candidates. It's State Senator Chris Larson. Chris, welcome to TYT. Thank you for having me. It's great to be back, Cenk. All right. Last we talked was during the walkout that you guys did in Wisconsin to protect workers' rights against Scott Walker, right? That's right, that's right, yeah, um, which obviously ended up being a lead up to uh, uh, Donald Trump and all the bad things that he's done. Uh, we left the state for three weeks um, to be able to make sure that there was room for teachers, public employees to be heard uh, as there was this effort to go after workers, go after educators in our state. And uh, we stayed out for three weeks before going back and uh, thank you for highlighting that. Uh, it ended up uh, focusing the attention of the country on Wisconsin and uh, uh, putting some pressure there uh, where it needed to be. Yeah, no, you guys are courageous about that. Actually, I'm curious, so catch me up on Wisconsin state politics for a second. Because uh, now you've got a Democratic governor, finally. Uh, but um, yeah. Wisconsin was one of the states where as, as uh, the governor was coming in, the Republicans tried to strip him of his powers. Is, is that, do I remember that right or no? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, they did everything they could to basically strip the strip all the powers away from this office. So um, just about any rulemaking that goes forward has to go through the legislature in a uh, one of the committees to be able to go through approval. Any and all of his department heads have to go through the legislature for approval, and if they are voted down, they cannot be uh, put forward again. Um, and a number of other different issues. One of the big ones being that we can't accept the Medicaid expansion with unilateral uh, unilateral decision by the governor, which used to be the case. The, the legislature blocked it. So which is why we're one of the last 12 states in the country not to expand Medicaid despite uh, how it would give $1.7 billion to our state and cover 90,000 people. Um, so yeah, they've they played pretty, uh, pretty craven politics with us and um, we've seen that. I think we're up to 78 different spots that the Republicans in the legislature have refused uh, to, uh, uh, to approve uh, posts that were up for approval. And uh, they're just holding over and uh, they're pulling a Mitch McConnell where they're just gonna try and wait out the uh, this governor and I hope that the gerrymandering uh, keeps them in power for one more term and that they can take the office. It's it's really maddening, and I want to get to the fight within the Democratic Party for this in this primary. But before we get there, I, I just want to probe a little bit further about Wisconsin because, um, you know, Russ Feingold used to be the senator from Wisconsin. He was one of the most progressive senators in the country. Wisconsin has a history of being very progressive at, at different times, and then Ron Johnson, you know, basically. Yeah. A terrible right winger, obviously for the rich. I mean, just over the top for the rich and and not for anyone else. Beat Russ Feingold in a race, and so and then you got a Democratic governor. But like in a lot of other states, the Republicans hold the legislature. It's so frustrating. So, yeah. Wisconsin is a mystery to me. 
<laughs> so I'll ask you this easy yeah. question. What the hell's going on in Wisconsin? <laughs> I like that you think that's an easy question. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it was a huge swing from Russ Feingold. And I consider myself a Feingold Democrat. Uh, so it was devastating to see him lose to somebody like Ron Johnson. Um, and it was, you know, he lost in 2010, he lost in 2016. And unfortunately, I think now people are really figuring out how bad Ron Johnson is. Uh, this is a guy who is you're, you're right, he's horrible in, in terms of how he is, has just kind of uh, deferred to Trump, even with Trump out of office. And everything from, from questioning the uh, efficiency of vaccines uh, to promoting um, crackpot science uh, in the committees when he was a chairman. This is a guy who was also in Russia over the 4th of July and came back echoing Putin's statements about uh, uh, you know deferring to uh, uh, Russia on many different points when he was the Homeland Security chair. Um, but you're right, beyond that, at a very basic level, Ron Johnson is somebody who has used this office to benefit himself and his family personally uh, in boosting their wealth. Um, he came in as a millionaire, but he boosted himself to being the sixth richest US senator. And this, of course, is a body where 66 of the 100 are already millionaires. And he did that using the tax law to benefit himself. So at the very basic level, this guy is looking out for the rich, looking out for himself, uh, and has, has uh, used every book in the uh, uh, corruption dictionary uh, to try and get himself more funds. So. You know, look, your race is so interesting. It's one of the most interesting races in the country, because um, you know, kidding aside about it being an easy question, of what the hell is going on in Wisconsin? Really, what that boils yeah. down to is uh, Wisconsin is now kind of replaced Ohio and Florida as the swing state. Um, for a long time, that's what Ohio and Florida were, but they're not anymore. Especially Ohio, that's gone. That's mainly uh, Republican now. But uh, but. Uh, man, Wisconsin is so razor thin margins in all in these last couple yeah. of cycles, and it's making a giant difference. And so that leads now to the question of what's happening within the Democratic primary. Because our thesis yeah. has been for a long time, obviously, being progressives, that progressives would run better campaigns against Republicans. And of course, establishment Democrats said, no, 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 we can't risk running someone that's actually in populist in favor of the people, we've got to run a corporate stooge, etc. So right now, what's the state of the primary? Who are your opponents? And you know, how is it playing out establishment versus progressives? Yeah, so right now there, there continues to be a growing field. I think we're up to eight candidates who are now running. Uh, there are a couple of establishment folks who are in, who are getting uh, some support. Um, I don't, I don't want to prescribe to bad mouthing them directly. I do want to make sure that we beat Ron Johnson. Uh, but I also think, look, having run against big money before, having run against um, the super rich, there is a certain mindset that they come in with. If they have a choice between uh, doing something that benefits the, their stock portfolio and their hedge fund versus doing something that helps the people, uh, unfortunately, uh, we know where the decisions go. Uh, we've seen it in the system that we've got, which is rigged, right? I think it, most people look at it and they think it's broken. The reality is it's rigged and it's rigged that way because the super rich directly or indirectly are running so much of the uh, so much of the program uh, pushing so many of their politicians. So it's a crowded primary and it's uh, nation, nationwide as people are focusing on this. It is a question of what's gonna happen in the future of the Democratic Party. 
Is it going to be a party of progressives, a party of the grassroots, a party of people who want to see healthcare as a right and not a product? If they want to see something like the Green New Deal move forward so that climate change is something that's addressed in every policy decision we make from the uh, from the very top. Uh, if it is one that's going to hold the wealthy accountable so that they pay the same rate of taxation uh, that their secretaries do or that the, uh, the day laborers are paying. Uh, and that's the question. That's what's going to be on the ballot as we go through this primary. So I get it's getting busy. You know, it's uh, it's looking like a Greek restaurant menu after bar time, and people are trying to focus on deciding what they want. Uh, and so I'm hoping folks across the country take note, take note of where the progressives are, where the grassroots are, uh, and get involved in this race. So, Chris, I'm curious what the Democratic Party's reaction in Wisconsin has been. Because in the old days, if a progressive ran, it would be ostracized and and it'd be whispered campaigns and considered illegitimate, et cetera. But you've been a state senator for a long time. You were the youngest state senator in, in Wisconsin. You And within two years, you became the the Senate Democratic leader for, and so that's, all of these are, uh, you know, it's it's hard to argue that you're not an incredibly legitimate candidate, and so nobody would ever make that argument if it wasn't for the fact that that usually the party and the media support the establishment candidates. So I'm curious what the reaction has been. Do you view it? Do you have a sense of it being a relatively even playing field right now within Democratic Party in in Wisconsin, or are they leaning towards the other candidates as usual, just based on you know ideology? For sure. I mean, we'll see. I mean, this the primary for this isn't for another 13 months, so we'll see how it ends up breaking out. But I, I, I share your concern that there may be a tilt towards some of the more corporate candidates, some of those that kind of favor that favor the establishment line and don't favor rocking the boat. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I've built my entire career around pushing the envelope, right? Of pushing to make sure that we are doing the right thing, that the party is doing the right thing. And through that, I've held 10 trainings over as many years to train up the grassroots to make sure my neighbors have the tools that they need to push back and organize. Through that, we've helped elect three dozen people to offices as varied as local school boards all the way up to statewide. And that's something I think we need to be doing across the state, something we need to be doing across the country. So I think that's gonna going to help. You know, I get that there's always this downward pressure to try and push for the establishment and push for incremental change. But that's exactly why people need to lean in, get more involved, and shake things up. Uh, otherwise, the status quo never changes. Um, is it might not happen overnight? And I get that the system is rigged, and it seems like things are stacked up against us. Uh, but that's more reason than ever to make sure that we fight, uh, especially in this election where right now the U.S. Senate is at the thinnest possible uh, majority, right, 50-50, and demo- nothing short of democracy hangs in the balance. Right, and yeah. we're seeing people who are getting gun shy of actually moving forward to protect the right to vote and make sure that people can't overthrow democracy and overthrow elections. So yeah. that's what's on the ballot here. Wisconsin yeah. is this is the only state with a very vulnerable Republican that was a swing state and came this close last election. So this is one where folks, if they get involved, not only can we elect a progressive, we can elect the grassroots to get involved and to push things in the U.S. Senate. Uh, towards saving our democracy. Right, and we're out of time, but I wanna let folks know just, you know, you should always go to Chris's website to find out what he's about and look up all his issues. But Green New Deal, Medicare for All, in favor of wealth tax, 
endorsed by Blue America, PCCC, we have the people. So Chris, what is your website so people can find out more? Yeah, thanks, I should be doing that more. Voteforlarson.org is the website to check out and feel free to shoot me a message. If you have questions about any other issues, we're we're rolling them out one week at a time here. And thank you again for having me on the show, always love being on, appreciate the good work you do. No problem, Chris Larson, progressive and democratic fighter. So we appreciate that, thank you for joining us. All right, back on the conversation. Uh, now we're gonna talk about gun violence. We had a terrible uh, weekend over the 4th of July. 150 people were killed in over 400 shootings across the US. It's totally raging out of control. We're gonna bring in our gun violence expert, Jonathan Metzl. He's the director of Department of Medicine, Health and Society at Vanderbilt. He's also a professor of sociology, psychiatry there as well. And he's the author of Dying of Whiteness, How the Politics of Racial Resentment is Killing America's Heartland. So, Dr. Metzl, uh, great to have you on. Thanks, it's great to be back. Uh, no problem. So, um, of course, you want to push for action, and you've been very aggressive in doing that. Um, uh, I'm curious what your uh, ideas are because I'm stuck. Uh, I, you know, I think the answer is getting money out of politics, but I know that's going to take a long time. Uh, and with the corruption that we have now, it, it feels kind of hopeless uh, in getting the Democrats to take action, let alone the Republicans. Well, I, you know, I, I agree with you in, in many ways and that part of the issue here is we're watching this daily carnage and we are, it's almost like a re, redux of the, of the pandemic. You just start to habituate it the way people in war zones do or places where there's a lot of violence. We shouldn't be living First is just to say it's not normal. We shouldn't be living this way. We shouldn't have over 400 shootings on the 4th of July weekend. We shouldn't have communities traumatized the way they are. And there is a sense of helplessness because you would think in any other setting, people would say, let's come together. You know, nobody wants this level of unsafety. Nobody, no, nobody wants to live like this. I think two important things to recognize. Number one is that. There still is pretty broad agreement about what to do about it. Um, you know, over 80% of the country believes that we should have better background check laws. Uh, most people believe that we should have better red flag laws, close loopholes, have national policies. So, really, what we're talking about is not about public opinion. That that's not the case. Many responsible gun owners think there should be background checks. Also, I I know that because I spent a lot of my life talking to them. Um, so the issue is um, there's a there's a political stalemate in which there's no there's no incentive in our system for fixing this problem and as a result we get what we have which is people are dying yeah so look i agree with you i've said this that a thousand times there's different polls on it but one poll had federal background checks at 97% popularity and and that's the example i always use when i talk about money in politics because if you can't get something passed in a democracy where 97% of Americans agree, that means you're not really living in a democracy. And so we know what the stalemate's about. It's not about popularity at all. That's why people are like, oh, we gotta convince people. No, we don't, we already have them convinced. And even on banning assault weapons, etc., there there are real differences and the right wing definitely doesn't agree. But still we have solid majorities, right? So the problem isn't that we haven't convinced enough people or there isn't enough violence to people to wake people up. And if it was just the Democrats, maybe we could pressure them and that I still have that at a maybe. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that we could pressure them into doing reasonable gun regulations. 
But with the Republicans saying, no, I don't care. I don't, it's 97, who cares if it's 98 or 99 or 200%, uh, my checks are signed by the NRA. And so I represent gun manufacturers and they make more money when people die. People get more scared, they buy even more guns. So I, I just, again, Dr. Messel, I have no idea how to solve that without getting the money out. It's, they're never gonna move, how, how can they possibly yeah. move? Yeah, no, the, the, you're absolutely right in that the um, you know the 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 issue is stuck, and it's not just stuck because of of the money. It's it's also stuck because again, there, there's no incentive in our system for fixing this problem. People who come into politics on on, on extremes, you know, maybe I, I'm not in any way trying to make a correlation, but strong gun control advocates who I, I actually am one of and I feel like have, have actually tried to find some middle ground. But um, re- Republican politicians like, you know, you're, it, it's better to be Marjorie Taylor Greene than it is to be Mitt Romney, for example. Um, you know, the people who are at the extremes who are the most uncompromising are the people who have the most power in the, in the GOP. And so people who might say, well, gosh, this is horrible. Let's figure out a way to come together and find some common cause. Um, those people are are politically marginalized and the system doesn't reward them for, for taking that system. So part of the issue is about money in our system, I completely agree. But the other part is of course, like we're seeing this with Biden, there's only so much a president can do at a time like this. Maybe in the old days, you know, get the courts involved, get people involved, This we will not stand for this. Um, right now, we're seeing that so many of these issues are not just solved by politicians, they're also solved by courts, right? And so the judiciary is against uh, addressing this problem. Uh, and also it's a state problem as much as it's a federal problem. Now that being said, I do really think that um, that Governor Cuomo in New York at least gave a model of something to think about um, uh, um, after the July 4th weekend, a seven or eight part plan that was based in communities. It was thinking about ways to make gun sellers liable for false advertising, for what happens with their product products. It, it started to think about ways to activate communities. And so I would say that I do think that Governor Cuomo, it's a lot easier to do in New York than it is in Tennessee, for example. Um, but I do think that that was a model, not just for gun policy, but for changing the friggin' conversation, which is really what we need now. We have this debate that's going nowhere. And so how can we change the conversation? And and I did, I have to say, support what what Governor Cuomo did, which was to say, we're not gonna stand for this and here are our seven seven ways to to change the channel. So I I don't know, Dr. Melissa, I'm I'm still hopeless. Um, So the Republicans (laughs) are immovable object. Uh, They only care about the money. They don't, there's endless massacres, but let's talk about the scale of the massacres. Um, You know, we we had all these wild wild west stories that we all grew up with uh, back in the day, right? And it's part of American folklore, like the shootout at the OK Corral. Uh, I checked the other day, Um, only two people got killed there. Uh, now yeah, for the whole year, no, it's a, it's a, it's it's all it's all a myth. It's all, it's all a myth, absolutely. Yeah, and and so no, but back then, two people getting killed was a big deal. Now mm-hmm. that's would never get like wouldn't get reported outside of local news at all, at all. To now the the massacres that involve four people, that's technically a mass shooting, right? Um, they don't get reported. You got to get into double digits in the in the number of in the body count in a massacre. Uh, to even get reported in the national news. So what do you think this is doing to the national psychology? I mean, 
Look, I'll, it's just one more thing about that real quick. Like I have now friends from Turkey where I'm originally from saying, is it safe to come to America? Because it seems like there's it's a bloodbath. Um, it seems like it's one of the most dangerous countries in the world. But here living in America, our media, in my opinion, sucks. And so is it resonating? Do we realize that we're living in a country filled with to the rim with massacres? And it could that help push anything forward to break the logjam? There's there's unfortunately no shock value. I mean, the, the the sad truth is even the massacres that we hear about in the news or the ones we don't, those are really just the tip of the iceberg. And so just to reaffirm your point about the trauma we live with, you know, most gun death isn't even gun homicide. Two thirds of gun death in this country is gun suicide. My book, Dying of Whiteness, looked at a five year period on average at about 40,000 gun deaths a year. And on average, 25, 26,000 of those were gun suicide. So even the multiple victim slayings we see in the news aren't anywhere close to anywhere near um, the, the level of, of just everyday gun trauma. And then there's, of course, there's partner violence, there's accidental shootings, all these things never make it to the news. And so it's really about um, safety and trust and, and that narrative being very easily manipulated. Now, what I've been arguing recently, again, is not about policy. I completely agree with you about the immovability. I mean, I see that in Tennessee where I am, where we have horrible, horrible problems um, with, with safety and in response, our legislature is basically overturning every single gun law. You know, no no need for permits, no need for anything. And so it's going exactly the opposite direction. I personally think the Democrats need to go big to de- declare a national conversation about safety to really, really amplify this. I mean, in a way, even when we're talking about policy, it's not enough. Let's really t- declare a war on 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 the trauma we're living with. But I think we have the megaphone right now, at least a bit. And I would I would go I would go on you know, I would I would push the issue much louder than the Democrats are doing right now, that it, to be honest. Well I fill in the blank on every issue that the Democrats should be louder on and are not, right? Yeah, look here, here's an easy answer. And next time there's a massacre, which will be in, you know, you know, five minutes or so. Um, you know, have but unfortunately, you know, just wait a week or two and you'll get a horrific massacre that'll be in the national news. Uh, and if I was Biden, I would go down there and I would surround the, I would ask my followers to surround the office of one of the Republican politicians in that state and say, this is the son of a bitch that did it, okay? This is the guy that takes money from the NRA. And make sure that these massacres happen nonstop. But I don't know a single Democrat that has anywhere near the courage to do that. So it's it's not just the Republicans being unreasonable. It's the cowardice of the Democratic Party. Let's just be honest about it. Well, I mean, and, and again, it, it's hard because of course there are many responsible gun owners who are Democrats. But I would say that if I always imagine like what would what what if the tables were turned here? And you can sure bet that if the tables were turned, which obviously they're not, um, the GOP would be amplifying the heck out of this. Every every single, you know, putting people on the defensive, making them answer, making them go out the back door so they don't have to answer your questions and stuff like that. And I, I personally don't see why. I mean, I know there are many people on the ground, you know, moms demand action and Newtown action, people like that. But I, I just think the pressure could be ratcheted up so much higher and not in a not in a bad way, really. I mean, I think that really, again, getting back to our earlier point about background checks, 
there are a lot of people who want change here. It's not just a Democrat Republican issue. Really force people, you know, bring responsible gun owners into that conversation. Really force people to say to say that. So again, I I think go loud and go big right now is is the chance to do it because you have at least the presidency and the Senate and the Congress, which yeah, they're not going. You think would be a good thing? They're <laughs> yeah, definitely no, not going to do it. They're cowards. So it's so easy. The Democrats should say every time there's a mass shooting, the Republican Party is the party of pro massacres. They are. They're the party of pro massacres. And so you want to talk about pro life? No, you guys get us killed by the dozens. Actually, we're talking tens of thousands every single year. It's the it's the massacre party. But no Democrat would have the courage to actually fight against a Republican. So that's why we have no action at all in this country, and we won't until we can take over the Democratic Party and put a spine in them. So that, that's my take on it. But Dr. Metzl, I appreciate your efforts on this, and I appreciate you joining us. The book is Dying of Whiteness, by the way, How the Politics of Racial Resentment is Killing America's Heartland. That's among the, the things that obviously Dr. Metzl talks about. Thank you, appreciate it. Take care, thanks so much.